Hey guys, it's Ed. I'm coming to you from the Drunk Gossip Studios here in New York City. And welcome to another edition of our True Crime series. Um, Last episode, you guys loved it so much, I decided to do it again. Um, Next week, um, I'm going to try to have an episode all recorded for you. I have an idea for one. But when I need to discuss it, and I, I say next week, um, the next true crime volume. Um, I I have a special idea, but I don't know if I'm gonna be able to quite make it work, or if it might end up in the vlog. Uh, I and I'm really glad that you guys like this. Um, when I was working on Love You to Death, which is my first true crime book, I really like. I I've been writing article true crime articles and it was fun and whatever but when I actually put together the book it was so much it was just such a joy um I made mistakes along the way but I learned from them and I'm learning as I do these episodes with you guys like oh my god I know what you guys like um I had someone recently say for a writer I don't give a lot of details and that's because my audience doesn't want those details. And that's what I get a lot. Like, you know, one of the criticisms I got for Love You to Death was I didn't put enough details of, of the actual death. Like, I have all the details of the relationships and stuff. But talking about the corpse and finding, you know, all that, I don't do that. And that's because that's not what my audience wants. My audience wants the relationships. So that's what I've always gone for. I mean, even in this podcast, you can tell, like, I may not always have the details 100% down right, but I know them enough that I can talk about shit. That being said, let's talk about Judy. I'm going to butcher this last name, so forgive me, guys. Buenano. Which is a bastardized version of her first husband's last name, Good Goodyear. So, Judy, Judy has a lot of problems. <laughs> um, she was from the Texas Panhandle, um, and. She was, she was just one of those ladies. <laughs> her, she was born in forty in nineteen forty three. Her name was Judas Welt, Um. Her mom died when she was young. Her dad remarried, and she attacked her stepmom at fourteen. Her dad had remarried, but obviously after the mom died. And I guess her and her stepmom didn't get along or something. So she attacks the stepmom, whatever. She was sent away, and she got pregnant before she turned 18. So at 18, she was pregnant and unmarried. Which, back in those days, huge scandal. Then she caught the eye of a naval officer, James Goodyear. They got married in 1962, and he adopted her son, Michael. And things were, well, things were fairly 
good for a while. They were married for nine years when James started getting sick. His stomach hurt. Um, as the doctors were all like, we don't know what's wrong with you. You probably brought something back from Vietnam. And that's what they kept saying is, oh, it must be something in Vietnam. And he died shortly after that. <coughs> um, and then her, you know, she collected, I think I figured out, like, $92,000. um Sixty four thousand in life insurance and thirty eight thousand no, that's wrong. It was thirty eight thousand in life insurance or twenty four thousand in life insurance and sixty four thousand um in in life insurance. Something like that. Anyway, she ended up with a lot of money, especially by those standards. Then her house burned down. For $90,000. Um, so here was the breakdown. 90000 for the house that, um, fire insurance. 33000 in life insurance policies. And 62000 in veterans dependency poli- um, compensation. Sorry for the confusion. Um, there's like four sets of numbers um, for this one. So I'm I'm using the numbers from the New York Daily News here. So she moved to Pensacola with all that cash. Now, mind you, this was in the 70s. So $180,000 was a lot of money. Um, she had a new boyfriend, Bobby Joe Morris. Um, they moved to Colorado. And then Bobby got sick and died. The same symptoms, his stomach, his abdomen was hurting really bad, and eventually it led to his death. She, um, Judy ended up getting a $23,000 life insurance policy. And she, she won his home. And the home was paid off because he had, um, Special insurance, where if something happened, it would automatically pay itself off. So she sold the home, moved back to Pensacola, and got married again. Uh, she First she opened a nail salon called Fingers and Faces. Um, and she, you know, she would dress very, what she considered chic. And she would drench herself in Chanel perfume. In 79, her son got the same thing that happened to both of her husbands. His, and his stomach started hurting and they couldn't figure it out. He was discharged from the army. And um, it got so bad where he couldn't even stand up. So he had a metal brace put on just so he could stand up. So they went out on a boat. 
somehow the boat capsized and Michael drowned. And guess who got his life insurance and veterans policy? Judy, she got more than $20,000. Then she met John Gentry II. And they talked about getting married. And instead they bought life insurance policies. Okay, so, so far we're good. Like, there's not a really big surprise here. She was feeding him, she was giving him vitamins, which ended up being laced with arsenic. And when he started complaining that he didn't feel good, instead of, you know, slowing down or taking him off, she doubled the dosage. He somehow survived this to find out that she was pregnant. And so one night he was going to go to town and celebrate. And he started the car. It was a Ford Futura. I don't know what that is, but apparently that was a thing. And it nearly blew up. There was dynamite in there. He was injured, but again, he he did survive. And since it was a bombing, the police came and was like, hmm, okay, we're going to start looking into this. So that they, they discovered that she had been feeding him arsenic, like I told you earlier. She had called and bought the dynamite. And she was never pregnant. Big surprise with that one, right, guys? Um, <laughs> um, she ended up being convicted. Um, they exhumed um, her son's body. And I believe they... They exhumed her first husband's body to Goodyear. Um, she was sentenced to death for the murder of Goodyear. And got jail time for her son and Gentry. Um, Colorado brought charges against her for for the boyfriend that, or for the husband that she killed in the their state, but since she was already condemned to die, there was no real reason to put her on trial. And it's just amazing the length that people will go to in order to get some money. And so, just real quick before I go, I know this is already a very long segment, and I'm sorry, but... um, the real, I found this because I was... Uh, I, t- I told you I was working on Love You to Death. And one of the stories I had in there I had to remove just because it didn't end up fitting with the scheme and um, 
the narrative of the rest of the stories in the book. So I, I took it out. And I was looking for something to replace it with. And I came across this story, and oh my god, like... And there are some real doozies in in there. In the next segment, we're going to talk about one of the doozies. Um, because, Jesus good lord. Alright, I'm going to go, and I will be right back. And I'm back. So, this next case, um... I had originally, um, I was originally using as the closing case in Love You to Death. Um, because it's such a twisted story. And I mean that in the best way. Like, I love the twisted stories. I love how that sort of thing kind of wraps itself around. And I swore I talked about this on the podcast, um, at some point, but I I looked it up and apparently I didn't. So I definitely wanted to talk about this case because it's just one of those that's so mind blowing. Um, and I, there's been a lot talked about it. Um, and Will God bless his soul um, has helped me a great deal. Um, not only with the podcast and the vlog and all that, um, but he's helped me a lot with Crazy Rich Homos and Love You to Death. And I'm very, very blessed that he's my friend and that he has um, chosen to lend his expertise um, so I could be an even better artist. Um, so, he he likes to joke with me a lot. Um, and so when I, we were talking about the case one night, um, as I was writing it, it was my first draft, and so I was telling him about it, and I told him the name, the name of the murderer is Evelyn Dick. (laughs) And he made all the jokes you can imagine about it. And... (laughs) He was like, this is why it's your favorite case. And he was wrong only for one reason, and that's it wasn't my favorite case because her name is Dick. That just added to it. That was like the cherry on top of the sundae. Um, so, all right, let's get into this. Evelyn Dick was... A weird woman. Um, She was kind of everything you would expect her to be. Um, She was... She's from Canada. And... She was dating a guy... Or several guys, depending on who you believe... And she came home one day to her mother and her daughter. They all shared an apartment. And and she was like, surprise, I'm getting married. 
But not to the dude that I've been dating, to this other dude. I'm I'm getting married to John Dick. And everyone was like, what about um, Bill? Bill Bohozik was her, was the boyfriend that everyone thought she was going to marry and that she was with. So... There's that. <laughs> so if, if we're starting off with an interesting love triangle. After her marriage to John Dick, Evelyn stayed living in the apartment with her mother and her daughter. And John wanted to move in with her. And she was like, goodness, no. Um, she probably didn't actually say it like that, but her argument against him moving in with him was there was barely enough room for the three of them, let alone, um, a grown-ass man. So, a couple months after they got married, she went out and bought a house and refused to put John's name on the deed. But they all moved in, and... The marriage went south really fast. It's one, I, you know, it's one thing to be swept up in passion and marry somebody. It's something else completely when you like, when you live with someone. Um, so that they started fighting and um, things just got really, really bad. So at some point, they broke up, and she stabbed him, and took took him over to her father's house, and her father cut him up. And they left his body in the woods where five kids found him. So after the kids found him, their parents called the police. The police started investigating. And they were like, we don't know like, who this is. Eventually, um, a tattoo identified him. And they went to her house and... They said, hey, like, can you please come down and identify the body first? Yada, yada, yada. So then, so she's going down and they're like, um, you're not acting like a widow right now. Like, what is actually happening? What is actually going on? And so she said something about how they had gotten into a fight because he was cheating on her. And a jealous husband must have done this. And the cops said that they would look into it. And then the story changed to... Oh no, her ex-boyfriend must have done it. In a jealous rage. Jealousy did seem to be the one consistent thing in this whole thing. So then, 
after that, she sold her father out, said that he was stealing money from his, uh, he worked for the bus system there. He was stealing money from that, and that John had blackmailed him and said he was going to expose all. And her father was like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. You know, yes, I did steal the money, but I did not kill that man. So because of all the inconsistencies, they decided that she must have something to hide. So they, you know, they started kind of poking around, trying to figure out what it was that this woman was hiding from them. And when they couldn't quite figure it out, they just arrested her. And they built the case on circumstantial evidence. The biggest piece of which was she had no known income, but yet could afford to pay for the down payment and the mortgage of this house. How was she able to do that? Rumor has it that she was a hooker, um, for lack of a better word. She was prostituting herself to all these men, including one of the, um, the, the husband of the um, wife that she accused John of having an affair with. Yes, I realized that was really awkward. Um, I'm sure there's a better way to phrase it. But anyways. um, So she... She was somehow acquitted. But the cops weren't done with her yet because... They had gone back into the house... As they were investigating. And they found this cement box that had her dead baby in it. At some point she had had a baby boy. And people are trying to figure out when this happened. But she had had a baby boy. The nurses were, were like, she couldn't have killed him. She loved him like he was the light of her life. But the baby was dead. And the police nailed her on that. Because she had kept it in her house in the attic. And no one could really figure out how the baby died. So she served 11 years in prison. And was released. And she was released... And given a brand new identity, and she's disappeared. Nobody knows where she is, or whatever became of her. It's like, as soon as she walked out of prison, Evelyn Dick ceased to exist. And I'm going to cease and go get me a drink, and I will be right back. And I'm back. So... Domestic abuse is one of those issues that creeps up and makes its way, it winds its way through society. 
And every once in a while, it flares up and people are so shocked by it. And then it floats back down and it's almost like it's forgotten again. Such is the case with Sally Challen. She married her husband, Richard Challen. And they had a really weird marriage. Um, she was 15 when they met. He was 22. And their son, David, points out that this is a very um, big age gap here. And so, so they met... And Sally fell madly in love, and Richard was fucking everything he could. And I know that sounds very crass, but it's true. He was sleeping around without a care in the world. When they got married, he would criticize her constantly. He would, um, someone would say she's, she looked very pretty or she was looking good. And then he would su- he would just cut that with a remark like, well, you haven't seen her naked, or this, that, or the other thing. So they had two sons, um, David and another one. <laughs> and James. Um, James is older. And, uh, but he doesn't really talk about his parents very much. David, however, will. And he's he told stories about how his mother, um, or how his father wouldn't let them watch TV because it would take away its quote-unquote limited lifetime. His father would lock up phones because he paid the bill and he didn't want to pay for everyone's usage. Um, and there were there were countless stories about how he um how Richard would go to parties, hit on women or um just was really cruel to Sally in front of their friends. And Sally wasn't allowed to have any friends outside of Richard. Which is a very classic abuser move. So, as this is all kind of grinding down, a big event played out. During this time, Richard was still cheating, sleeping with with all kinds of women. And Sally had decided to go to work. So she was doing some secretarial work, and Richard said, well, since you're working now, you're going to be paying the household expenses, while he went out and bought himself a Cartier watch, a Ferrari, and things like that. So there was a massage parlor right near Sally's work, and this massage parlor was of the rub and tug variety. And just 
Just after Sally was heading home from work one day, there was a huge raid on the massage parlor and Richard was arrested for solicitation. He denied it and when Sally said something to him about it, he told her, quote, it's none of your business. So Sally became very distraught and talked for the first time about leaving Richard. Some friends came and to visit them from L.A. And um, Richard and the wife um, had both gone to bed and the husband and Sally stayed up talking for a little bit and then hugged and said goodnight. And they, they went to bed. Richard happened to see that and blew a fuse and stopped talking to the couple altogether. Which made Sally even more distraught. So, sometime after this, Sally decided to leave Richard. And she bought a... uh, She had inherited some money, bought a house. Her and David moved into the new house together. But since this was the only life Sally had known up until this point... Uh, and this was 2010, so she's 64 now. Or, uh, no, she's probably like 65, 60. Yeah, probably like 65. 64, 65, so she'd been with him since at least the 70s. So you look at a marriage that lasts that long. Um, We're looking at 30 plus years. And it's bound to affect you. So. She and Richard started talking about reconciliation. And Richard said. Richard said, well, we can reconcile. Yeah, sure, why not? But we're going to go through with the divorce and you're only going to take $200,000. And you're not going to question me. You're going to do everything I tell you to do. No more interrupting me. No more smoking. Blah, 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 blah. When Sally started saying what she wanted, Richard cut her off. So one morning... uh, And Sally's divorce attorney actually did did say that she started and stopped divorce proceedings more than a, more than a dozen times. So one morning um, after their alleged reconciliation, Sally went to Richard's house to see him and he asked for breakfast. He asked for bacon and eggs. He went to the bathroom and Sally looked at his phone and saw that a woman had been texting him. A woman that he met on an app called Dinner Dates. She confronted him about it and he said, and I quote, It's none of your fucking business. I don't have to answer to you. If you want to be with me, do not question what I do. This sent Sally into a a frenzy. And she took a hammer and hit him over the head with it 20 times. 
She wrapped him in a curtain, then went and picked David up, dropped him off, and apparently just went about her day like nothing happened. The next day, she took David to work, dropped him off at work, and then went to the cliff and threatened to commit suicide. Suicide prevention people talked her out of it. And she ended up confessing what she had done. Police went over to the house, discovered the body. And she was arrested and tried for murder. She was found guilty. But she's currently appealing that decision. Because her her first attorneys didn't talk about the abuse and everything that she suffered at Richard's hands and her attorneys in David feel that that is one of the most important things that people need to know and surprisingly you know in most of the true crime cases the family wants justice they're demanding justice you know they just they're angry and they're upset and in this case even Richard's brother saying no he probably had it coming he he probably deserved this so right now Sally has been in jail for i believe 7 years um and she's serving an 18 year sentence However, if she wins the appeal, she she should be able to get out this year. And um, David is is very much hoping that his mother is released from jail and allowed to um, visit her sons, visit her grandkids. And there's a really sweet story that David tells about his mom. Uh, he came out to her. And there was, when he came out, there was an un, unwritten rule that they never talked about it to Richard. And David says that all he wants right now is for his mom to be able to see him and his partner and spend some time together. And I just think that's so so sweet. And this is a really tragic story all the way around. And it goes to prove that there are no heroes and there are no villains. That sometimes we're all just people. I'm going to go and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So, this, this one has all the makings of a dark comedy. And I say that because, first of all, it, it it actually makes no sense. There's a lot of true crime out there. Um, I've covered more than my fair share in the past year. And what I will say is, in my time covering true crime... 
I've, I've seen all sorts of motives. I've talked about all sorts of motives. And in this case, I just don't see any motive. <laughs> but it's still really funny nonetheless. So this is the story of Nancy Crampton Brophy and Dan Brophy. Nancy is a self-published romance author. Sound familiar? And uh, she works in the romance suspense um, genre. And Dan was a culinary um, instructor. So people loved Dan. They thought he was really funny and unique and he had a wit about him. And he just made everything that much better when he was around. He was very popular with his students. Um, And everyone who saw Dan and Nancy together said they're, they were in love. We don't know what happened. So let's talk about what happened before we get to the rest of this, this story. So Dan was found in his classroom, shot. Now there are no security cameras around, which has echoes of the Jesse Smollett case. Just saying. And um, his students found him and they, you know, obviously called for campus security and who called the real police. And so the search began to see who could have done this. Nancy, when she was told about it, went into a grieving widow mode. Oh my God, how can this be? I loved him, he was the love of my life, yada, yada, yada. She even went so far as to talk about the moment she knew she was going to marry him. She was in a tub and it was big enough for both of them to be in there. And so she waited and waited and waited. And finally she called out to him, aren't you going to join me? And he answered... Yes, but I'm making hors d'oeuvres. And this was just the bee's knees to Nancy. It was the sign that this was the man she should marry, because why not? So, they they did indeed end up married. And they bought a house, and they raised chickens, and everything seemed... Good. There was... uh, According to people all around, there was no animosity between them. They genuinely seemed happy together. So this is not a typical true crime. And here's where it gets even more bizarre. So as I mentioned earlier, Nancy is a self-published romance author... And she wrote books like 
the wrong husband. Uh, There were a couple others. But there was an essay that she posted online on, on her website, which really has people giving her the side eye. The essay is called How to Kill Your Husband. And it's, um, I'm sorry, it's how to murder your husband. And in this whole essay, she gives, like, all the different motives and how to do it, the murder weapons. And basically, um, the motives are divorce is expensive, you have to split your possessions, wouldn't you rather just take everything? And she doesn't need to say by saying, I can't lie, like, you know, my if I were to kill someone, everything would just come unraveled, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But at this point, it's pretty clear that she had thought of all these different ways. Now, since she's a writer, I think there, there should be some... Leeway given to her. You know, writers are called upon to research and and know what they're talking about to, to a certain extent. You know, I am I'm certainly not saying oh we we should overlook her murdering somebody because she's a writer because obviously. There's such a thing as too much research. And that, that, I think, really falls into the category of too much research. Anyways, the police ended up arresting her on suspicion of murder. Um, and she's shocked by this. She's just completely shocked that the police suspect her. Everyone else is, again, shocked that she's the one that they're looking at, except for Dan's family. They said that they've heard what the police have and it's substantiated and they're angry. They want her to pay for killing their relative. And it, it, that, that that's all the research that's out there right now. Um, I think it's very very chilling and very very strange. And so as I read the, the material, I wondered, what is it about this woman? She seemingly had everything, you know. She was successful enough. I mean, she she had quite a few books out. Um, which, in the self-publishing industry, obviously, the more books you have, the more likely it is that you're going to be read. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But the fact that she was able to produce and all of this, you know, produce so many works and, you know proudly call herself a a self-published author 
And her cover art was just tremendous. It was so good. It makes me wonder... Um, was money a factor here? Did, you know, maybe Dan said that he didn't want to... Maybe Dan had been footing the bill for that and he didn't want to do it anymore. Or maybe there was some sort of inheritance that came in. I don't think we're ever going to know why or if if Nancy is guilty of this murder, we're never going to know why she did it. Uh, maybe she went insane. Um, hearkening back to the essay, maybe Dan asked for a divorce. Just because people seem happy on the outside does not mean that the marriage is working on the inside. Uh, I haven't... Again, I I looked at all the material. There doesn't seem to be any mention of kids. They seem like an... I want to say an older couple, but not old, if that makes sense. Maybe one wanted kids, the other didn't. Or... Maybe... Nancy was having an affair... And took out a life insurance policy and thought she was going to collect it on Dan. And here's the thing. That sounds really out there and bizarre. But as I found out, that happens a lot. A lot, a lot. I'm going to go and I will be right back. And I'm back. So this... This story has mayhem and murder and money and infidelity. It is one of the twistiest, weirdest, grossest true crime stories I've ever read in my life. And that's saying something. (laughs) I hear people like, "Mm mm-hmm. It was a lot for you, was it? <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I still think it, it, it's interesting. And it, it deserves the media treatment it's gotten. And it, um, it, it deserves to be a book. Like, I, I might actually sit down one day and just... Um, compile it all because there's a lot of information about this case. Uh, it's the Ben Novak, Narcy Novak case. So, basically, what we start out with is, um, Bernice Novak was Ben's mom. She was up there in age. She owned, um, Fountain Blue Hotel. Worth a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Um, I cannot get an accurate estimate here. I've I've seen everything from fifty million all the way up to seven hundred and fifty million. So uh, I think it's safe to say that we're dealing with a lot of money here. And so one morning, um. 87-year-old Bernice was found dead. Now, 87 years old, not really that big of a surprise. 
they say that she initially they saw she walked out to um go to her car fell and sadly tragically passed away and it was not that hard to believe again at that age um This is going to sound crass, but it happens. So, three months later, uh, so she died April 5th, 2009. And Ben was killed on July 12th, 2009. Now, I just want to point something out here. When you're going to kill somebody, or if you're going to kill two people in the same family, maybe don't do it three months and a week apart. I'm just saying, like, doing it that close together might raise some suspicions. So, anyways, so Ben was found dead in a room in the, at a Hilton hotel. Um, he had allegedly been having an affair with a porn actress. Uh, her name is Rebecca Bliss. So, allegedly he and Rebecca had had a uh, class nine meeting. And then he had his head bashed in and his eyes gouged out. Now, for those of you who watch American Horror Story... This almost sounds like the plot line of um, Hotel, where Bentley is a detective investigating these murders, and in almost every single one, one partner is cheating on another, and it's like, you know, lust and whatever, and gluttony, and yada, yada, yada. So police were like, hmm, mother and son killed in a relatively short amount of time. Let's let's look into this. So police looked into um, Bernice's death and they were like, wait a second here. She didn't die of natural causes. Dun, dun, dun. So then they started looking... And they they arrested Narcy Novak and her brother Cristobal Veliz Vil, uh, um, July 10th, uh, uh, July 10th, 2010. So just under a year after Ben was killed. And the motives that they stuck with was she wanted to inherit all this money and since her marriage was on the rocks and her husband was seeing porn star this was the only way she was she could do it and um she and her brother worked together to ensure that they got the money 
so they were both tried on uh, murder charges and conspiracy charges and um and, and they were tried together, which is very unique because most of the time um defendants aren't tried together because it's live by one die die by the other usually um meaning if you try them together. They both could be found innocent, or they both can be found guilty. It's very rare that one is found guilty and one is found innocent. But they they were both found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. And mainstream media has had a field day with this. So Darcy's daughter, May, ended up... Inheriting everything. Um, and when I say ended up inheriting everything, technically that's a little bit of a stretch because a lot of the fortune was um, used up in legal defense and whatnot. Because Narcy really thought that she wasn't going to go to jail or something. Um, she really thought that she was going to get away with murder. And if uh, just if how to get away with murder had stayed to the um, saving a murder every week structure, this one would have definitely made a great episode. Um, back to the point at hand. So. Or during all of this, Ben was painted as this tragic hero who only wanted to love Narcy and and her daughter May. And Narcy was made out to be this gold-digging whore who had one goal and one goal only, and that was to get the money. And nobody is really looking at the shades of gray that both of these people had. They were two humans. Um, you know, yes. There's no doubt that Ben actually loved his stepdaughter. And, you know, there's no doubt that they... Um, that Narcy married Ben because of his money. But let's take a look at, you know, first of all, cheating on his wife with a porn star. That is not behavior of a hero. And me saying that doesn't take away from the fact that he was a victim of a very violent and atrocious crime. But sanctifying him, canonizing him, and making it appear as though... This is normal. Is a little disingenuous, I think, for lack of a better word. Um, and you know, and painting Narcy as a gold-digging whore 
again, not saying that she wasn't because, from all indications, she was very money hungry. But what we we're not looking at what motivated her. Was she trying to look out for her daughter? Was she trying to make sure that you know everyone was? Taking care of, she's not talking. She's not granted any interviews or any kind of anything ever since her conviction. So what we know for now is that this is what she did. Um, she recruited her brother in this murder plot. Her brother recruited two more friends who ended up flipping on them, and and selling them out. There's no, there's so much missing in this story that it, that's why I said it, this could really fill up the whole book as we try to figure out, like, putting more pieces and figuring out a real motive besides money, even though money is probably a very big motivational factor here. That's going to do it for this episode of Drug Gossip colon true crime I don't know why I tried that out um thank you guys so much for listening as always um as we speak I am probably heading out on a plane so wish me luck pray for me um and until I talk to you guys again cheers <laughs>